Let's pray and ask God to help us as we study his word together. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. We pray that as we look at this passage tonight, you'll strengthen us to make our way all the way through it and help us to understand it, please, and help us to think rightly about how to apply it to our lives. Do please um, help us to be soft-hearted and ready to be challenged this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I heard a story from a mate of mine the other day, a guy who comes to the 1040 service. Um, He listened recently to a Bible talk about uh, evangelism, sharing the good news about Jesus. I think it was actually Warren's talk on being salt and light from Matthew chapter 5 a couple of months ago. And so my friend from the 1040 service, he decided that he was going to try to be more salty in his conversation. He was, he was going to try to talk about Jesus more in, in his normal conversation. Uh, the opportunity soon came up. Uh, he's, he's a doctor. And in his, works, in his work a couple of weeks previously, he had um, he'd really helped a lady who was in quite, um, quite a lot of trouble. Uh, that very week, she came back to see him. And she said to him, thanks so much for what you did. You're my saviour. Here's my chance, thought my mate. So he said, you don't want me for a saviour. Jesus is the one you want for a saviour. He can save you forever. (laughs) (laughs) The lady looked at him (laughs) in stunned silence. (laughs) She just sat there. She didn't know what to say. My mate didn't know what to say. (laughs) Well, moving right along then, said my friend. (laughs) And that was the end of that. (laughs) You ever had an experience something like that? You uh, tried to talk about Jesus, but it didn't end well. It's hard to do in Australian culture, isn't it? Uh, People think you are some kind of a nutcase if you talk about Jesus in Australian culture. It is a sure way to kill a conversation. Uh, I know it happens very quickly to me. The moment one of the first questions people ask you is, what do you do? I say, I'm a Presbyterian minister. (laughs) Get away as quickly as you can. Sure way to kill a conversation. Uh, Maybe even to kill a friendship. Uh, Possibly even to lose a job. Um, It's happened to people in our own congregation. If you tell people about Jesus, it's going to mean trouble. People will not like it. So what do we do? Well, Most of us keep our mouths shut, don't we? It's too uncomfortable, too scary too embarrassing to talk about Jesus and so we stay silent. In our studies in Matthew's Gospel we've come now to the end of a section of nine miracle stories. So we had uh, introduction to Jesus, first four chapters, then we had the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember chapters five to seven? And now these last couple of chapters we, we've followed Jesus around uh, and, and seen nine miracle stories. And now we come to another teaching section. So Jesus has been traveling around, proclaiming the kingdom of God, doing these amazing miracles. But the thing is, Jesus is just one man. He can't um, live stream his sermons over the internet so more people can hear. He can't make a DVD and distribute it or something like that. Jesus wants to multiply his ministry. He wants more people to hear his message. And so he's, he needs to get some helpers on the job. Jesus, it says here, he sees crowds of people. 
He sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. That's a reference to the Old Testament. It's a common reference in the Old Testament. If you were in Bible study during the week, you've chased it up. It's an Old Testament reference. It means that they're in exile. They are outside of the kingdom of God. They're not under the king that God has established for them. They're not under the rule and care of God. Jesus sees these crowds and he has compassion for them. His heart goes out to them. And so he says to his disciples, you've got to pray. You've got to pray about this. You've got to pray that more people will do the work that, that I'm doing. This is Jesus speaking, that I'm doing, that, that more people will call the crowds into God's kingdom. Chapter 9 and verse 35. Have a look with me. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus asked his disciples to pray and then it seems they become the answer to their own prayer. At least 12 of them do, because Jesus chooses 12 of his disciples and he gives them authority to do, to do what he's been doing, to, to teach and to do miracles. Chapter 10 and verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. Some we've met, some we haven't. First Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Uh, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and, and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus calls them, gives them authority, and then he sends them out on a mission. He says, I want you to go to the Jewish people, to, to their own people. And he says, I want you to preach the same message that I've been preaching. The kingdom of heaven is near. And, and he says, I want you to do the same kinds of miracles that I've been doing, the same kinds of miracles we've just seen Jesus do in chapters 8 to 9. Verse 5. Verse 5. These, these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go... Preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Jesus has a few more instructions. He says, I don't want you to charge for this mission. You've got to do it for free. And he says, I don't want you to spend ages preparing. So it's just quick fire, short-term mission, arrive, find somewhere to stay, get the job done. Move on. That's the, uh, the end of verse 8 here. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. So Jesus has talked about the kind of mission and now he starts to talk about the, the, the consequences. This is the effect that their work will have. Jesus says that some people will accept their message. They will repent and believe in Jesus. They will come into God's kingdom. And, and Jesus says, so your peace will remain on them. 
But some people, Jesus says, will reject the message. And in doing so, Jesus says, they will bring terrible judgment on themselves. Verse 12. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, that's uh, towns in the Old Testament who refused to welcome God's messengers and uh, God judged them severely. It will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Uh, Jesus then spends some time, in fact really the rest of the passage, talking about this last response, uh, the response of people who reject the message. Jesus says to his disciples, it, it's going to be dangerous. People will try to hurt you as you tell this message. So you've got to be wise about it. He says, I want you to be innocent, do the right thing, but be wise. Avoid trouble if you can. Verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Jesus starts to talk about some of the kinds of troubles. He says they'll face legal troubles. They'll, they'll be um, brought before courts and flogged. But he says, don't worry, God's spirit will help you give a good, good account of yourself. Verse 17. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. That's a strange sentence, isn't it? I look at that sentence, and okay, that's a bit strange. The first part of the sentence and the second part of the sentence. When they arrest you and they're about to bash you up and flog you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. That's not what I was worrying about. <laughs> as I was getting arrested and about to flog, be flogged. <laughs> Shows interestingly different priorities, doesn't it? Don't worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And we see examples of that happen, say, for example, in the book of Acts, don't we? There's more bad news. Jesus says that uh, everyone is going to hate his disciples. People will persecute them, even the people closest to them. And so he says, just keep on the move. There are plenty of people who need to hear this message, more people to reach than time to reach them. So if you get, if you get in trouble, just move on, keep preaching. Verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That reference there to the Son of Man coming, that's a, it's an Old Testament reference, goes back to one of the visions in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. It's not talking about Jesus' return to earth. Uh, the coming of the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7 is where this figure called the Son of Man comes to God on the clouds and receives all authority in heaven and on earth. It's fulfilled 
uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, as he, when he dies and rises again, about to ascend to heaven, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he's saying, um, this mission where you're replicating my work here on earth, there's going to be more people to reach than time to reach them until the time that Jesus dies and rises again. So the point, if you get persecuted, keep moving, preach somewhere else. Uh, still more bad news. Goes, Jesus goes on to say that his disciples should expect to be badly treated. He says, they accused me of being the devil. Don't be surprised if they say the same thing about you. Verse 24. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, the devil, how much more are the members of his household? Sounds pretty scary, doesn't it? Pretty tough. But Jesus says, do it anyway. He says, don't be scared. Get out and tell the world. Verse 26. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Uh, I remember when my uh, first son, Joel, was born, um, just uh, 12 and a half years ago, my, my grandfather gave me a card. And uh, it was a, a picture of Snoopy on the front. And Snoopy was standing on the top of his doghouse, on the roof of his doghouse, and he's proclaiming, you've had a baby, you've had a baby, like that. And then uh, you open up the card and on the inside it says, good news should be proclaimed from the rooftops. Uh, my grandfather's not a Christian, but wasn't a Christian when he was alive. In fact, he's Jewish. Um, I think he probably didn't get the reference um, if he gave me the card, uh, but there it was. It's true, isn't it? Good news should be proclaimed from the rooftops. And we couldn't help ourselves when Joel was born. Carmelina just got texting. I think they had mobile phones 12 years ago, didn't they? And just, it went everywhere. Like, it went viral. Um, a couple of days after Joel was born, I was in at Moore College, and uh, I was talking to a lady across the desk, and she said, oh, congratulations on the birth of your son. I said, oh, that's, thank you very much. How did, where did you, how did you hear about that? She goes, well, I was in Turkey when it happened a couple of days ago, and uh, heard about it on the day. I said, how did that happen? Oh, well, friends of yours, and friends of, and their parents are missionaries, and they came to this, and Carmelina couldn't help herself. Good news had to be proclaimed from the rooftop. She could not hold it in. Well, Jesus says it's the same. It doesn't matter how tough it is. You shouldn't be able to hold it in. Tell the whole world. He says there's a couple of things you've got to be very clear on. If you're going to be able to tell the world, even despite all the, the fear and the persecution, he says you've got to learn who to fear and you've got to learn who to trust. First, he says you've got to learn to fear God more than people. People can kill you in this life, but that's all they can do. Whereas God, he holds your eternal destiny in his hands. Verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. People. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. God. You've got to learn how to fear. Uh, but more than that, You've got to learn who to trust as well. Jesus says that God is completely in control of this world. Nothing happens that is outside his control and God loves and values his people and so they've got to learn to trust him. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? 
Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus gives more reasons to keep going. He says, you've got to keep going, you've got to keep preaching, because on Judgment Day, you want me on your side. He says, on Judgment Day, you don't want to have disowned me, because I'll disown you before God. He says, on Judgment Day, you want to be on my team, because then I will be on your team. Verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Still more bad news. Jesus says he came to bring division. Uh, Some people will trust him. Some people will reject him. Even within families there will be division. But no matter what, Jesus says, I want to be priority number one in your life. Jesus says, I want to be first priority above your family. I want to be first priority above even your very life. Verse 34. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, a sword of division. And there's a quote from the Old Testament. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And then look at this. Anyone, says Jesus, who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I've got to say, this keeps happening to me as I read through Matthew's Gospel. I cannot get how people say... Oh, you know, I really like Jesus as a teacher and as a, you know, a good moral example and that kind of thing, but I don't buy that he's the son of God. <laughs> Look at the stuff he says here. You know, if you're not on my team on Judgment Day, you're in big trouble. I demand to be more important than your mum or dad. I demand to be more important than your son or daughter. Unless you stand firm trusting in me, you will not make it to heaven. This bloke, if he's not who he claims to be, is a total megalomaniacal fruitcake. Not the words of a sane or sensible person unless he is who he claims to be. Well, it all sounds pretty tough, doesn't it? And and it will be tough. But just a little bit of good news at the end. Jesus says some people will receive you, some people will accept the message and there will be just reward for them. Verse 40. He who receives you receives me and he who receives me receives the one who sent me anyone who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward anyone who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward you get just reward and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple I tell you the truth he will certainly not lose his reward It's just interesting then in uh, chapter 11 and verse 1 that after all of this teaching about Jesus sending out the disciples, we hear nothing of the mission in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew chapter 11 verse 1, we're following Jesus again and then the next time you see the disciples in chapter 12, they're they're with him. It's like they never left. Um, Interesting. There it is, chapter 11 verse 1. 
After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Okay, we made it. We made it. Longest passage so far, I think. Um, but uh, did you see the point? It's actually not that, uh, not that complicated, is it? There's lots of interesting things in here, but basically what does Jesus do? He calls his 12 disciples. He gives them authority to do what he's been doing. And he sends them out. He says, get out there. Do what I've been doing. He says, it's going to be tough. People will hate you. People will hurt you. But I'm worth it. So trust God and be brave. Now, as we think about applying this passage to ourselves... We just need to be a little bit careful. Matthew is not necessarily telling us here what we should be doing. What he's doing is telling us what happened then. For the Bible college students among us, this didactic section, this teaching section is set within the context of a narrative. It's part of a story. So Matthew's not necessarily saying what we should be doing. He's telling us what Jesus said to his disciples in that context. And this is a pretty specific context. It's a pretty specific mission. I don't think it's necessarily a blueprint for all future missions. So, for example, I don't think we have to confine our mission today to the Jewish people. Uh, We should have mission to the Jewish people. It should be a priority. It should be the first missionary that any church supports is a missionary to the Jews. And, of course, we support K. Chan Park and his his mission. But it's not exclusive anymore. It's possible to spread the gospel to other than Jewish people today. Um, I don't think the stuff about not preparing necessarily applies to us today. Uh, Some people seem to think that it does. They go on what they call faith missions and take no money and clothes and that kind of thing. This is a short-term mission to a specific area. I think it's okay for missionaries today to take money. I think it's it's good for them to take spare clothes with them. They'll smell after a while. Um, I don't think they have to live in someone else's house. They'll just be annoying after a while. It's okay for them to be in a hotel or be in their own house or something like that. It's a specific mission. And I also don't think that Jesus has given us the same authority that he gave to the 12 apostles here. We are not called to miraculously heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy or drive out demons. I don't think we could, even if we wanted to. And I think the temptation for those who think that we can and should do this sort of stuff who then can't, the temptation is to fudge it. This is a quite unique authority that Jesus gives to the 12 apostles here. This is a very specific mission. But Having said that, I don't want to let us off the hook. There is plenty that we can learn and plenty in this passage that I think should really be a challenge to us. So as you can see from your outline, uh, there are four things that I want us to talk about from this passage tonight. Four things that still apply to us here this evening. Point number one, first thing that still applies to us this evening is this, the need. Jesus saw that the people of his day were like sheep without a shepherd. They were not under the rule of God. They were not part of God's kingdom and therefore they had no hope, no future. That's still true today, isn't it? That is true here this evening. People who do not trust in Jesus this evening have no place in the kingdom of God. For Jesus, here in Matthew, that aroused deep compassion. Uh, The word actually means he he was moved in his guts about this. We should have compassion as well, shouldn't we? 
we would have to be very hard-hearted to believe that people will spend eternity outside of God's kingdom and not care about that. Don't you think? Don't you think? That, that would be really hard-hearted, wouldn't it? We ought to have compassion. Uh, during the week, my wife was uh, sharing the gospel with a Japanese lady, talking to her about Jesus, and they had a, a good, long conversation. This lady's um, very sick, and uh, my wife had a great conversation with her about Jesus. At, at the end of it, my wife said to this Japanese lady, she said, look, I, I hope I haven't offended you in this conversation. And, and the Japanese lady said to her, look, I don't buy what you're telling me, but I have to say, if I believe what you believe, that I'm going to hell, I'd be offended if you didn't tell me. Like, I'd be going, do you not love me enough to, 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 to tell me? It's, it's true, isn't it? How can we believe this and have no compassion? The need continues. And so point number two. Jesus, Jesus' call to his disciples to pray, that should be a call to us. We ought to be asking God to raise up gospel workers. We ought to be praying for gospel workers. And we ought to pray that we ourselves might be the answer to our own prayers. Like with the disciples, we ought to pray that we ourselves will have the opportunity to share the message about Jesus. And you know, it's amazing how often God answers that prayer. When you pray for opportunities to talk about Jesus, they do come. Many Many years ago in a previous life when I was working as a lawyer um, in the Lennon Environment Court, I used to have a prayer partner. His name was Adrian Smith. He's actually the brother of Murray who's going to be speaking at our church weekend away this year. And Adrian and I used to meet in church one morning a week before work and pray together. And, and sometimes Adrian would pray for me that I would have opportunities to share the gospel that day. And I tell you, every single time he prayed that prayer, there would be opportunities for me to share the gospel during that. I started to wish he wouldn't pray it. I started to dread whenever he would pray it because it just kept on being answered. The need continues. The call to prayer continues. And the responsibility to tell people about Jesus continues as well. Now, you won't find you know, things in the New Testament saying, go and talk about Jesus or something like that. In the New Testament, the picture is much, much bigger than that. Uh, the Apostle Peter, for example, he says, it is the whole reason that we exist as a church here on earth. He said, the, the reason why we don't, don't just get snatched up to heaven when we become Christians, the whole reason we exist on earth as a church, he says, is as a kingdom of priests. That is, we stand between God and the world. And our job, he says, is to declare the praises of God to the world so that they can come in to his kingdom. It is the very reason for our existence. The Apostle Paul says something similar. He says, whatever we do, whether it be deciding what to wear or what to eat, whatever we do, we should do it with a view to helping people be saved. He says our whole lives should have that goal, to see people saved from sin and death by trusting in Jesus. How can you believe that and have any other goal? In Jesus, we have the best news in the world, news that ought to be shouted from the rooftops. The responsibility continues. But point number four, so will the reaction. Now, I don't need to tell you this, you already know it. But people won't like it if you refuse to shut up about Jesus. People will hate you. 
It's what Jesus said to expect, and it's true. Like my mate found out, it can be uncomfortable, it can be embarrassing. Even with the so-called superficial tolerance of our society, people go, oh, that's nice for you. The moment you go, no, 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 hang on, it's not just nice for me, it's for you as well, suddenly it gets ugly from there. It's uncomfortable, it's embarrassing. But you know, the other things that Jesus says here in Matthew are true as well. He still demands to be priority number one. God is still the one we should fear more than people. And God is still worthy of our trust. He is totally in control of this world and of our lives. There's a famous story of a, a missionary, Australian missionary, who went to a very dangerous place. I think it might have been Tunisia or something like that, and took his family there with him. And um, when he came back to Australia, he was asked, why would you go to such a dangerous place and expose your family to such, you know, such danger? And, and he said, God is completely in control of this world. God knows every day of my life. He knows the day of my death. He knows the day of my children's death. He is totally in control. I am no safer sitting on my bed in Australia than I am facing a gun in Tunisia because God's in control. You see the point? God is still the one we should trust. And there is still more people to reach than time to reach them. If sharing the gospel loses you one friendship, there are plenty more people who need to hear. Make another friend. If sharing the gospel loses you one job, there are plenty of people who need to hear, get another job. Friends, the need continues. The call continues. The responsibility continues. It will still be tough. And so there's the challenge. There's the challenge. I don't want to dob on my Bible study. But did you see that first question in the Bible study this week about talk about a recent time you've been you've told somebody about Jesus what happened we were really struggling any of us to come up with a recent time we talked about Jesus how was it in your Bible study see most of us we desperately want to have a comfortable peaceful life that is really what we're living for we don't mind fitting Jesus in at the edges but we don't want any trouble and so we have been scared into a disobedient loveless silence we are too embarrassed to talk about Jesus. Friends, we need to repent, don't we? Don't we? It's not going to be easy, but there's no excuse. We could have some spectacular failures like my mate. No excuse. Jesus is clear, isn't he? We've got to take our courage into our hands, get praying, get talking. Let's pray now. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we're so sorry that we believe that people are not your friends and are outside your kingdom and are facing eternity without you, and yet we do nothing about it. We're so sorry for our prayerlessness. We're so sorry for our silence. Father, we, we, we can offer you no excuse except that we are loveless and faithless. Would you please forgive us? Uh, would you please fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us the courage to, with courtesy and humility and gentleness and kindness, be bold about our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.